Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. It sometimes seems like the only constant in the world is change. But as we begin our new message series in the book of James, we will discover that our faith is able to remain in the midst of change because of God. To be faithful is to always be open to God's way in a changing world. As we begin today, I want to share with you something that brings me joy in my life. Something that brings me joy in my life is the fact that throughout my time as a student, like in high school, my teachers gave me books and works of people that lived in history that lived in a completely different time than you and I, that did not have televisions and phones and things. They had carriages and they had far other, more you know, things that you think of, wow, they had to deal with that? And this exposure to these different kinds of writings is a blessing as you learn about the world because you come to the realization that your experience is not absolute. And instead, you begin to learn and understand what people have gone through throughout history. I remember in particular in my English class, I was assigned the book by Eli Wiesel, Night, an autobiography of a Jewish teenager in Nazi Germany. You want to talk about reading a book that I had no context of what life was like until I read that book. In the same vein, I was also assigned the diary of Anne Frank. These are moments in history that happened, and I would have no clue what life would be like if I did not read their own words. We are blessed with anthologies and journals and autobiographies of people in history to understand experiences that we don't have. Other things that you can read, uh, believe it or not, the, the second United States president, John Adams, they have put together his letters between him and his wife. And you begin to understand what life was like in a very, very chaotic world during the revolution. You learn about the pandemic that they went through and how they tried to treat it. You'd be really happy about our treatments today compared to what they did. And then, what's beautiful, and you can go through all kinds of different world cultures and you will find writings of people. Like Gandhi, you can find the writings of Gandhi to understand what he was going through. Martin Luther King Jr. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day and there's going to be a bunch of people who quote Martin Luther King Jr., And they have not read his letter from the Birmingham jail. They just quote him. You have to fully understand what he has gone through to understand what he is saying, not just hearing a quote. And the beautiful thing is is that this is a little bit of what Scripture is. We have letters from pastors to churches. We have letters from people who follow Jesus. And even happened after that. We have, let, we have confessions and diaries of, of saints before us, like St. Augustine or, or a, di, a, a journal and sermons from John Wesley. 
In all of this, you have to be able to let go of what you live and transport yourself using what you have, your imagination, to begin to understand what life was like for all these who have gone before us. And we do this on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. When we read Scripture, one of the pieces is is we look at the context, right? You begin to say, okay, what exactly is going on here? And why is this story even that applicable to my life? And any good pastor, any good church, any good study will give you an understanding of the world that scripture is in. Because the Bible isn't meant to just like, oh, I read this one verse and it says this and I can now go do this. It all has to be taken in context. But the interesting part about the letter of James, the epistle of James, is that you do need to understand the context of James, but it doesn't have a lot of context around it. And that's, that's intentional. James is what we call a general epistle. In other words, it is for any and all believers around. There are, there are faith applications within this letter It's not like Paul who's writing to the Corinthians who's dealing with division. It's not like Paul writing to the Romans to try to get support to go to Rome. James literally is writing to everyone. And so when we read some of the things that James has to say, and you're very tempted to say, did he mean something else? More than likely... (laughs) It is, it stands as it is. (laughs) It's very plain. And that's why it's such a hard book for so many people whenever they read it. But here is the reality. I I have a quote for this. The compositional function of James is to make readers of every age the recipients of a letter from the earliest days of the Christian movement. James is a part of the first century church right after Jesus has died and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. And from that, the life that the church has is very unique. And this letter is for all of us, whether it be first century believers or 21st century believers, to say, hey, This is what God has shown to us. And this is how you begin to live out a life of faith. You believe that Jesus is Lord? That means your life is different. Do you believe that we are going, that our sins are forgiven? That life is different. Do you believe that resurrection is going to come to those who believe in him? Your life is different. And so... As we move in, as we journey through this letter, take what James says at face value. There's some pretty significant stuff here. So, who is James? Or Jim? I'm, I'm, I gotta tell you something. I'm very tempted to call him Jim, just to be funny. How many of you have a friend named James, but you call him Jim? Anybody? Yeah. My father-in-law, his name's James, but we, he's Jim but I'm not going to do that. Who is James? 
James is traditionally seen as the brother of Jesus, actually. That's traditional. Now, when you get into the archaeological findings and everything like that, it gets very convoluted very quickly. (laughs) But let's just say he's the brother of Jesus, okay? But how he identifies himself in this introduction and how he frames this introduction is going to really, well, it, it, it means a lot for you and I to this day. So even as he introduces himself and even as he begins this letter, please understand, all that James is trying to do in this moment is to help those live a life of faith. And even as you look at some of the small details, you'll come to the realization that a life of faith is far different, far different than how the rest of the world works. So we're going to start right at the beginning of James. James chapter 1, verse 1. It will be on the screen for you, uh, or if you have your Bible apps or, or your, your Bibles itself, we are reading from the Common English Bible, and uh, here is what it says. From James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered outside the land of Israel. Greetings, my brothers and sisters. Think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. But anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. And whoever asks shouldn't hesitate. They should ask in faith without doubting. And whoever doubts is like the surf of the sea, tossed and turned by the wind. People like that should never imagine that they will receive anything from the Lord. And they are double-minded, unstable in all their ways. Brothers and sisters who are poor should find satisfaction in their high status. What now? Those who are wealthy should find satisfaction in their low status because they will die off like wildflowers. The sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass so that its flowers fall and its beauty is lost. And just like that, in the midst of their daily lives, the wealthy will waste away. Those who stand firm during testing are blessed. They are tried and true. They will receive the life God has promised to those who love Him as their reward. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil. Nor does He tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. And once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. There's a lot there. And you're thinking, how are we going to go over all of this? Well, here's the good news. This is an introduction. And all of the themes that James just put out there is going to be in depth as we journey alongside in this letter. Okay? What we're here to do is to understand what James is doing with this letter. 
And it can be really hard because he just goes right into it, theme after theme after theme after theme, and you're like, what is going on? It's like, take my hand, and you're just, let's go. But let's go back to the very first two verses. Did you catch how he identifies himself? He doesn't identify himself as James, brother of Jesus. He identifies himself as James, slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for you and I, in our context, slave is a very, very heavy word. But the imagery is important. James is sharing with us that everything in his life is in service to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he identifies himself as that. And then, to all of those who he is writing to, to those who are scattered out of Israel, in other words, anyone across the world who are also slaves of Jesus Christ, this is for you. So this letter is for those who live their lives faithful to Jesus Christ. And here's the other awesome part about James in the very beginning. Again, as a slave, hey, hey, fellow slaves of Jesus Christ, fellow faithful of Jesus Christ, you are my brother and sisters. Brothers and sisters. See, in James, we are all here under Christ. There is not a hierarchy for James. This is, not, this is not like Paul writing to one of the churches that he pastored and trying to, to convince them that what he is saying needs to have some authoritative things in his life. James is saying, hey, you, are you faithful? Are you, are, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Hey, brother, sister, listen up. We're in this together and we need to live like this together. And if you didn't guess it, or if you didn't catch it, have you come to the realization of what this letter is about? It's about living faithfully in Jesus Christ. He says faith maybe like twice or three times. But again, he's taking us and just going really fast. The assumption is that you are a servant, a slave, to God. You, everything in your life is in his name. Everything in your life is looking to serve him. You get that? So what this introduction is about is about living a faithful life in Jesus Christ and what that looks like. Do you see why it's now considered a general epistle? It's not it's not a letter to a certain church or it's, a, or it's Jesus speaking to a specific group of people. This is James speaking to all of the world who believes that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, is indeed the Christ, has indeed saved our sins and has indeed risen from the grave. It speaks to us today. And so from this, we begin to understand how to live faithfully. 
And the assumption is, immediately, in the second verse, I want you to think of the various tests you have. Difficulties. Have you ever felt like you don't know what to do and you need guidance and wisdom? You know that the world is ordered in a certain way and that the wealthy continue to take advantage of those who are poor. You know, there's, there's a different way of living when you believe in Christ. And have you ever been tempted to do something that you know is not the right thing to do? See, all of a sudden, he begins to talk about the different circumstances of a person who has faith and how we might address it. So here's, here's the bad news. If you came to Jesus thinking that life was going to be easy, James sort of throws that right out the, the window, doesn't he? You're going to have difficulties. You're going to need endurance. You're going to struggle with how the way the world is working right now. You are going to be tempted. But here's the good news. And it's all centered around verses 4 through 8. It means turning to God for whatever circumstance that you are in. This is why he says, anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, who by his very nature is to give, every, give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. Life is difficult right now. Have you sought God and asked Him about it? I'm being tempted with this right now. Have you turned to God in that moment? What about the stinking economic disparities that I see and I'm so angry at these people? Have you turned to God for your life? For James, for us, for the faithful to have proper speech, for us to say the right things and to do the right things, you must be pointed and turned to God. As Luke Timothy Johnson says this, prior to speech or action, in other words, is proper perception. Where do you get your perception of the world? Do you get it from yourself? Do you get it from the world? Or do you get it from God? How do I speak these ways? Do you have perception from God? How do I act in these ways? Do you have proper perception from God? And this is why James says, don't be double-minded. Being double-minded is really simple. Have you ever done anything or said something that you knew you shouldn't have said or that you shouldn't have done, but you did it anyways? Every single one of us can be double-minded. How many of us in conversations about difficult things like race, for example, because we're all white folks here. Just so you know on the camera, we're all white folks here. But how many of us have said, I'm not racist, but then you find yourself actually 
believing something about somebody of a different ethnicity in your mind when you see them in a different circumstance. Or I don't judge people who are homeless, and yet as you drive by them, you have a different thing going on in your mind, right? This is the double-mindedness that every single person is capable of. I'm not here to just simply accuse you. I deal with it. (laughs) We all deal with it. And so James is so adequately saying, hey, don't be double-minded. Have faith in the God who saved you. Turn back to him for how to live, for how to speak, for how to act. He has the wisdom and he will give you everything that you need to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to be a brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And so, this is how, faith, this is how James sees faith. Faith is an openness to God and his ways in every context, regardless if it's a first century problem or a 21st century problem. God is still God and God has a certain way of life. And we turn to him in faith to be able to live in the ways that he has called us. And yes, it looks different. The world is different than what it was in the first century. Absolutely. Absolutely. But does the command of love your neighbor as yourself ever go away? No. Does the first century church who were peacemakers and did not use violence to move into the world stand? Yes, it still stands. Does God's teaching about wealth in the first century have any bearing on a 21st century economics Status, yes, it does. And that's hard. Because, quite frankly, if we were honest, we'd rather be double-minded about some of this stuff. We would rather be a little bit more comfortable, more whichever you want to call it. And it's why James doesn't get to preach often. (laughs) Because he's going to have some pretty strong words for all these things. Faith is an openness to God and his ways in every context, friends. So if you want to live faithfully to Jesus Christ, it means going to him for everything, for every circumstance. When you are tested, when you are tempted, when you are struggling, when you are fine, you go to him for all things. And it's also why James remind us what comes from God and what doesn't come from God. James does not, or James explicitly says, hey, you know what? So, you know, those tests and the temptations that you face, that's not coming from God. So stop thinking that they are. Because I've heard people, I'm not joking, I've heard people say, well, I'm I'm being tested by God and it's, it's, it's a temptation to do the wrong thing. No, God's not putting temptation in front of you. You're putting temptation in you. You're just trying to get out of it. (laughs) 
We are so... God created us in such a way that we are so capable of doing really great things, but we're also incredibly capable of finding loopholes and deceiving ourselves. And so when I see somebody who calls themselves a Christian relying upon themselves or maybe relying upon something in the world or relying upon something that they've learned from other people or figures or whichever it is, instead of looking to what God has said, I get so discouraged. But I'm also completely understanding because we're all capable of this double-mindedness. When you turn to other sources for a faithful life, I'm here to tell you that more than likely you will become double-minded and find yourself living in a way that Jesus didn't call you to live. I've seen a lot of Christians say, we have to endure and hold to A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know what endurance is? Endurance isn't standing strong by yourself. It's continuously turning to God in the midst of everything. Endurance is turning to God time after time after time, circumstance after circumstance after circumstance. And just like the theme of this year, it is legitimately continuously being open to God to bring renewal to you no matter what situation you're in. Your family is putting you out, turn to God. The division in the world, you just can't talk to certain people about certain things, turn to God. Not sure how to treat your neighbor, turn to God. It all comes back to it. That is what faith is. And he will give you the right way forward. So, what does this mean practically? Well, I thought about this. It's not, it's not, overly, it's not overly surprising. But when we are faced with a moment when we see somebody in trouble, when our neighbor is in trouble, we turn to how Jesus taught the parable of the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. And we live that way. When we're faced with circumstances that we can't control, we, we remember that Jesus in the boat calmed the storm whenever the disciples thought they were all going to die and find our peace within him. When we are faced with our own wealth, we turn to Jesus' interactions with those who are wealthy and we'll be put in a very uncomfortable spot. When we are faced with intense temptation, we turn to the moment that Jesus is in the garden and he desires not to go to the cross and yet he turns to his father and prays, do with me what you will. And when we're not sure if the thing that we want is really the thing that we need or something that will harm our neighbors, we turn. We turn to how he has shown himself in the past and how he is showing himself in the present. Friends, James is laying down for us that God 
is the one. The one who defines our reality if we want to live faithfully to him. God is the one who is most real and who defines reality. God is the one who is created. He, he listens to prayers and he rewards faith. God gives generously without reproach. And if you're coming back to him for the second time saying, yeah, God, are you sure you want me to do it this way? He's not going to judge you for it. He doesn't sit there with a prayer counter saying, oh, I see you messed up again. I see you're tempted with the same thing again. He doesn't do that. He gives to you and I to live faithfully to him without any limit. And that is good news. That is good news. You know, when I think about the different works that I have read about the different times in history, I'm tempted to, to believe that really our world is so much different than back then. I've heard a lot of people say that. It doesn't, you don't even have to read books. I've heard people who are older and wiser than me say, things are just completely different than they were when I was younger. And I understand that. There's, there's pieces of this world that are different. Think about the technological advances that some of you have seen. It's like a whiplash. I mean, it's been whiplash for a millennial, let alone a boomer. <laughs> yes, there are things that are no longer taboo that used to be taboo for some of us. But you know what really keeps me from believing that the world is so different than what it used to be? It's the fact of the matter is, is that, well, there is still suffering in this world. There are still difficulties and trials that all of us experience. People still sin. People still give in to their envy and their lust and their anger and their greed and their laziness and whatever else you want to say, and they take advantage of other people. They steal from each other. We kill each other. There's still war in the world. There's still poverty. That hasn't changed. There are still plenty of wealthy people who make their wealth off the backs of people who are not. We have a world hunger problem and we have three billionaires going into space. People divide themselves by either what they believe or by the appearance of others. These are still problems in this day. So has that much changed? Yeah, it looks different than maybe it did 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. But so much of the things in this world haven't changed. There's still so many moments when people do the wrong thing, when there is injustice in this world, when trials and temptations come our way. But the beautiful thing about this is that God hasn't changed being faithful to you and I. 
for those who want to be faithful, God hasn't changed. He's still there willing to give us all that we need to live faithfully to him. To turn the other cheek, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to bring forth peace in this world. All the things that we are called to be in Scripture is still the same things that we are called to today. And God is faithful. He will provide. So your faith, is it, are you turning to God in every circumstance? Are you seeking His wisdom in His way in everything? Or are you double-minded? Bringing all the stuff that you have learned from other things and other ways in yourself. And it keeps you from living in the way that Christ has called you to live. May we be, friends, truly faithful to God. And he will bring us strength. And he will bring our faith to completion and will give us endurance no matter what comes our way. Let us, friends... Let us be faithful to God as he has been faithful to us. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.